We're going to be looking at 8th century prophets. And you say, oh, don't, don't get me so excited talking about 8th century prophets. That sounds like a really exciting thing, right? Well, Isaiah, who our memory verse was just, we just did, Isaiah, 8th century prophet. Last week, we did our memory verse, which was, O human, what is it? What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That was 8th century prophet Micah. And the week before that, our memory verse was from Amos. Uh, What was that? That was, let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like a never-ending stream. And that was Amos, who is also an 8th century prophet. So, these guys are talking about justice a lot, so we want to talk about that. So as we get started, I want to ask you guys some questions. Does any of this sound familiar? You grew up hearing stories about the mighty acts of God, but have never personally seen the miraculous. That's true for me. The government, politicians, and authorities use the name of God to gain support regardless of their adherence to biblical morality or ethics. Does that sound true at all? The Messiah is supposed to be coming to set everything right, but generations have come and gone. How long has it been since Jesus was here? Almost 2,000 years, right? We're still waiting, right? Worship often feels rote and empty, as if something is missing. You ever, you ever worship and it just feels like there's something else that should be going on too, more than just that? This is the situation of today, isn't it? When we look at that, we say, man, that's how it feels today. This is also the situation in the 8th century with these prophets. And in fact, this is also the situation when Jesus comes onto earth. This, this is... This has been a case many times throughout history, and these things are things that we see happening over and over again. So what we're going to be talking about with the 8th century prophets, and today is just going to be a, an intro, because we're going to be doing this for a while, uh, is we're looking at these ideas of what is just not quite right in what's going on, and what the 8th century prophets are going to say to address this, but we're also, as we go, going to be looking at what Jesus does to change this. Okay, so what we're going to start reading from today is actually going to be Luke chapter 4. So in the book of Luke, chapter 4, if you've got your Bible, you can go to this. Verse 16 is where we're going to start. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Okay, you ready? Pay really close attention to this part. This is quoting directly from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now after this part, he goes on to talk about how in Elijah's day, one of the prophets, there had been a widow in Zarephath who was not from Israel, who he went to, and he helped her. And then Naaman, who had been a Syrian official, came and had leprosy, and Elijah healed him, but Elijah didn't heal any of the people in Israel. Why was that? And the people got mad when Jesus said that, and they tried to throw him off a cliff, because those were fighting words that he said. But what I really want to focus on right here 
is what is it that Jesus just said, and why is it important that he uses this verse? So what are the things that are in this verse? First off, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, okay? So we already have this idea from what we've just talked about, that Isaiah is a prophet who's concerned about justice. And we're going to learn more and more about that as we go. Second off, he uses these two phrases in there that are part of that scripture, the spirit of the Lord and anointed. What's the spirit of the Lord? Not, not a trick question. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. This is something that we're given when we are baptized and we say yes to Jesus. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was not on most people. The majority of people did not have access to the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the Holy Spirit on him. In his baptism, the Spirit descends like a dove. But most people don't have it. The only people who ever are given the gift of the Holy Spirit are prophets and a few of the kings before this time. No one else in the regular population has it. So when Jesus says the Spirit of the Lord is on him, what's he saying? That he's got it. So that must mean he's either a prophet or a king, right? And then he uses the word anointed. And what's anointed? Who gets anointed? That's right, the king gets anointed. The king gets anointed. So Jesus is coming on saying, this is who I am. I'm a prophet. I'm a king. Second, what people does he focus on? Does he say, I'm going out to make sure that all the rich people get the best. I'm making sure that all the people are, are elevated in this different way. No, what does he say? He says, I'm going to the poor to preach the gospel to them, to set the prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, to help the oppressed. What's common about all these people? They're, they're all hurting. They're all lower in society. They don't have high, high value to most people. So who's Jesus' mission toward? What he's saying right out of the gate. It's not to the people in charge. Jesus is starting at the bottom. Right? Okay. Last thing, the year of the Lord's favor. He says, I'm coming to the pro- proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's that? There's this thing in the Old Testament that we don't know if it ever actually happened because there's no report of it really happening. But God set up this thing called the year of jubilee. And so what was supposed to happen is for six years, everyone was supposed to work their land. And on the seventh year, they were supposed to stop working, give it a year of Sabbath rest, and God would provide for them from their own land without them doing any work on it. Then they were supposed to do that again and again and again, seven times. So we got 49 years worth of this. And on the 50th year after they've done it seven times was the year of jubilee. They went two years in a row, this time without working, And God said, I'm going to give you so much abundance that third year. You won't even know what to do with it. And if there are any debts, you are to forgive them. If anyone has had to be sold into slavery, you set them free. If anyone has had to give up their land because they couldn't afford things, their land goes back to them. It is a total reset for society every 50 years. And it is because of God's grace, not because of what anyone had earned, but what God said, I want this done because this is the way I am as a God. So when Jesus says he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, what's he coming to proclaim? The year of Jubilee. It's time to reset. It's time to reset everything because of God's grace for you. So this is a big, this is a big thing, right? This is a big claim that Jesus has. And it's a really exciting thing, but it's going to upset some people. So let's talk about a few things, because remember, we're doing intro for all of this. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind about what's going on with Jesus. And let's talk about what a prophet is real quick. If you've got a pen and you want to rapid write, I'm going to have some scriptures here, but we're not going to look at them. So a prophet is, Deuteronomy chapter 18, 17 through 20, someone who speaks the word of the Lord, word of God. Okay, so these are not words that come from them. God gives them these words to speak. 
And so when a prophet speaks, it's basically hearing the voice of God. Second, Deuteronomy 18, 21, 22, the same section. What a prophet says will come to pass. So one of the tests to see if someone is not actually a prophet is if what they say doesn't happen. But if what they say happens, now that doesn't mean that they're just a fortune teller about the future. But when they speak for God and God says God's going to do something, God's going to do the thing God says. Unless, like in a lot of the prophecies, there's a, unless you change and do this, then I won't do it. And then that's what ends up happening. Third, from Nahum, or from Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, prophets may have visions or dreams. So a lot of what, what prophets get their, their word of the Lord from comes from either a vision or a dream. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21 says, prophecy comes via the Spirit of God. So this is what we just talked about with Jesus, is that the prophecy came from the Spirit. And we also find that in the New Testament, as the Spirit is poured out on all people, before there's the New Testament, we see a lot of people who can prophesy and have this gift of prophecy in, in the New Testament. And that comes from the Spirit of the Lord. And this doesn't have a verse quote, but it could be male or female, Jew or Gentile, people like Deborah, uh, Anna, who comes and blesses Jesus in the temple after he's born, were both prophets, Jew or Gentile. Uh, one of the Gentile ones is Balaam, who is in the book of Numbers, who a king hires him to come and curse Israel. And he says, I can only do what God says. And he comes and he ends up blessing Israel because he can't curse them because they're God's special people. So that's prophets. Let's answer another question now. All right, so here are our list of 8th century prophets that we're talking about. I've already mentioned most of their names, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah. Uh, We're going to be looking at those across the next seven-ish weeks. We'll see what happens. Uh, And looking at some of the things that are in each one of their books. Uh, There are some other potential 8th century prophets. Joel sometimes gets placed in there, but it's hard to tell. He doesn't have good dating stuff. And then Jonah might also be an 8th century prophet, but his book is very different. And so we don't usually lump it in with this group of prophets. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a little bit of history. And I want to look at a timeline, and we're going to talk about a little bit of background on this. And we're going to go really fast through this, because for some of you guys, I see your eyes already glazing over. So we're going we're gonna to try and hit this real hard. So first off, timeline. This is happening 150 years after the divided kingdom, Israel and Judah. Saul is king. David's king, Solomon's king, Solomon's king Rehoboam splits the kingdom in half. Then there's the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Ten tribes go with Israel, two tribes go with Judah. So this has been 150 years since that's happened when we get to the 8th century. Second, Israel is going to be exiled to Assyria in 722 BC, which is within the 8th century. So Israel is cruising for destruction at this point in time. Judah is also eventually going to be exiled to Babylon, but that's not going to happen until 586 BC in the 6th century. So at this time, these prophecies are going to come to them, but they are going to, to get things right for the moment. But eventually their time comes as well. Assyria is the big bad empire. Uh, Jonah may be an 8th century prophet. Capital of Assyria is Monty Python fans. That's one of the questions on the bridge. What's the capital of Assyria? It's Nineveh. And so Jonah is sent to the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. Uh, Assyria, again, he might be one of the prophets. We can't tell exactly. Again, Jonah functions very differently as a book than a lot of the other prophets. Egypt still kicking. Babylonia is, or Babylon's rising. Persia is growing. Greece and Rome are in their infancy. So that's the kind of geopolitical scene that we see all around. There's all these other kingdoms that we know about that are rising up. But right now, Assyria has the main power. Okay, so here's a map. You can't read this map. I know you can't read this map, but you can see the blobs. So that's all we're looking for for the moment. All right, so in this section right in here is where Jerusalem and Samaria are. Those are the capitals. 
of Israel. Down here in this green section, below here is where Babylon is. Up higher in it is where Nineveh is. That's really all that matters for that map, and I can't point to it real well. Here's another thing you can't read. These are the kings of prophets of Israel and Judah. Just what you can see here is it starts off at 940 as the first year, and it ends at 460. So we're looking at a 500-year span right here. Mainly, we're going to be stuck in this top quarter chunk over here. Uh, but you can see the yellow kings are Israel's kings. The, blue, the green kings are Judah's. In the middle is the prophets. So our prophets before were not writing. Our prophets after here start writing. And so the, the prophets that have books named after them are the writing prophets. They're the ones that are all in poetry and that are given words from the Lord to deliver in a longer form message. Uh, the ones that have like a red line preached to somebody that wasn't Israel or Judah. The two, Hosea and Amos, preached to Israel specifically. All the rest were prophets to Judah, the southern kingdom, because there was no more northern kingdom. So there was no reason to preach to them anymore because they were gone. Uh, The other lines you can see up there, well, let's go to the next slide. The top line are the kings of Assyria. The second line is the kings of Damascus, which is the country of Syria, not to be confused with Assyria. That's real convenient, right? So we say Damascus to help get a little bit of information. Those are just kind of, keep those countries in mind, because as we go through these next weeks talking about this, these are the the countries that are going to show up in these books, and we're going to hear about them. But what I really want you to see on this one is you see Jeroboam 2 here, who has a longer reign, and then you see Isaiah here that has a longer reign. So what's just happened is in both of these kingdoms at about the same time, One king has been in power a long time because Syria is weaker and Assyria is busy somewhere else. What happens if your country is no longer being oppressed and they're just hanging out and nobody's attacking them? Peace, flourishing. So there's more peace, there's more wealth growing, there's more ability to to build things and to do whatever you want to. And so that's what sets the stage for what we're going to find out, a lot of abuses in the land because power is increasing for the kings and for the people with wealth. Okay? While the history. Reminder, these are real people in a real time. It's important sometimes because we look at the Bible every once in a while and it feels like it's this isolated pocket of stories. But the truth is all of this is happening on a big world scene in this area. And there are records of a lot of these things and these kings and stuff that's going on from other countries besides Israel. And so we can see in some of Assyria's records, some of the other countries, the mentions of the kings and things like that that we're talking about. So we just want to remember that this is real stuff going on. Second, 20,000 foot view helps us to have some context. And that's true for our time, right, too? Is if we look at everything as if nothing happened before this year, When we look at what's going on out in the world, we say, what on earth is happening? Well, if we turn our clocks back a few hundred years and we start seeing what kind of systems had been in place and that made a lot of things happen the way they did, we say, ah, I understand now how we got where we got to. So history is very important for us to make sure that we understand the bigger picture of what's going on. And we want to draw parallels to the time of Jesus and to our time. This is a word to the 8th century, but it also has... Uh, word for all time. So that's what we talked about at the very beginning. We're going to look at 8th century. We're also going to look at 1st century with Jesus. And we're also going to try to look at 20th, 1st century, almost a 20th century, with us so that we can see how these things all relate. Okay. Themes. What are justice and righteousness? We've been talking about this a little bit, right? 
So we're going to start with righteousness first. If you were here last week, you watched the video on justice, and it explained these. We're going to use definitions from that video. Righteousness is an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. Okay, so righteousness, right relationships between us. If you and I have a right relationship, there is righteousness between us. It is treating others as the image of God. We talked about this last week, Genesis chapter 1. God puts his image in all of us in our creation. So all humans have God's image. So to treat each other right, we have to treat each other like God made everyone. And that's going to be an important thing as we go forward, thinking about that and how challenging it is to think about that, not just with the people in this room, but also people that we don't like, people that have been painted as our enemies, Those people bear the image of God too and we have to figure out how we're going to relate to other people even if we think that they are not worth as much because we got to change that. Okay, justice, what does that mean? Seeking out and helping vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of. Okay, so justice has a lot of action behind it, right? We're seeking out and helping vulnerable people who've been taken advantage of. Taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So when we talk about social structures, you know, we can think about that on a big government level. We can also think about that on the way things work here at Contact. Are there any times when we do things here, the way we've structured certain things, that are not blessing everyone in the same way or that are hurting some people while they're benefiting others. And so that's one of the things that we were going to want to talk about as a church together is are there places where we could be more just. And again, 90% of its use out of the 400 times the word appears, mishpat, in the Old Testament are about restorative justice, retributive justice is I've done a crime, I need justice to be done. Restorative justice are people in power or whatever structures are abusing people who are lower up and we need to help lift them up sometimes by surrendering some of what we have to let them be lifted up. So that's what it's talking about in the Bible. So, thinking about that, let's read this again, what Jesus says in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you hear justice and righteousness in that verse? Do you hear Jesus trying, wanting to change social structures to bless those who are hurting? Do you hear Jesus wanting to make relationships right between people in that? Yeah, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry is already dripping with righteousness and justice. And so that's going to be something that's very important to him as he brings the good news to others and shares what the kingdom of God is going to be about. And so it's going to be important for us as we think about that too. So our goals for this series. I'll talk to you about this real quick. First off, we want to get a basic understanding of justice, righteousness, and the 8th century prophets. So we've already done a little bit of that. We're going to do a lot more of defining what those words mean in the context of these passages that we're going to look at in the future. And uh, we'll get to know the 8th century prophets a little more too. Second, we want to identify how these relate to Jesus' day, the gospel, and the current world. We've already talked about that a lot as one of our purposes. We're going to keep talking about that. Third, we want to discover ways we personally and as contact need to shape our lives to submit to God's way. So that's always a big part of this is it can't just be about something that we learn in our minds and don't put into action. If we don't put it into action, you didn't really learn it. And last to intentionally step out of our comfort zones 
to engage others with righteousness and justice. It might feel easier to step out in righteousness and make sure you and I have a good relationship. It's a lot more to step out in justice and to try to fix things going on that are hurting groups of people, right? So this is a big call for us as a community and that we want to do together. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion on your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. The word of the Lord from Isaiah 61, what Jesus was quoting. So takeaway question today, will you follow this king? Do you want to be part of this kingdom that God is creating? Do you want to be part of a kingdom that puts justice and righteousness first? I hope you do. If you need anything this morning, if you need prayers, if you need to share something with us, then why don't you come down as we have Jerome lead us once again this week and Get Right Church.